Do you want to hear what the best and most influential minds in the golf and turf industry have to say on issues affecting the world of golf? Turf grass and turf equipment? That's why I'm here. Tune in as Steven Tucker takes us on a journey with some of the nation's best minds and finds out what they think. If you were looking for excitement, you have found the right place. Welcome to the Turf Addict Podcast. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome uh, to this week's podcast. I believe it's podcast number five. Uh, this week's guest I got with me, a good friend of mine, and I would say also family member of mine, uh, Carlos Araya. Uh, known each other for a number of years in the business, and uh, you know I got the opportunity to volunteer at the uh, at the hundredth PGA Championship with them, and and. Um, just have have uh, all great things to say but you know him and I talk all the time but I thought you know why not bring Carlos on here and and uh, let him speak to to all of you guys as well so uh, Carlos welcome man thanks thanks Steven thanks for having me it's funny because I, I really had been following all your social media stuff I had not realized that you had so quickly became the Larry King of podcasts <laughs> in the turf industry well, I don't know that I have the Larry King voice. Um, you know, I'm just, I, I guess I, uh, I don't know, I'm more of a, I, maybe he's a little more tell it like it is, but, you know, I, I just, I try to cut out all the fluff. I just want to talk. And, and so um, my feeling, you know, and, and as we've discussed, the, is that, you know, if you're going to create a podcast, let's try to find and talk about things that people want to hear about. So that's why I got you here. And, and uh, welcome, good to have you. And uh, how's everything going up in St. Louis? Everything's great. Uh, you know, like everyone else in the Midwest, it seems like we've had one of those years. I don't know. There's ever normal any in any region, but speaking just for here in St. Louis, it's been a lot of rain and just trying to get some things done with those challenges. But you know, one day at a time, and things have been kind of progressing, and we just adjust. That's how it's been. Yeah. Well. Um, I've got this story I wanted to bring up, and uh, you can already you can go ahead and say the uh oh now. Um, but <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but you know, I obviously you know everybody knows you used to work for John Cunningham, and uh, you know I was like, man, what what am I going to ask Carlos? What good things could I ask him? And and John's like, listen, you've got to ask him about working for me, uh, the Christmas team dinner. And sushi and wasabi. So I'm going to let you tell uh, this story. Oh, uh, gosh. The young Carlos Urea worked for John Cunningham. Boy, oh, boy. So we, uh, John, as you know, great friend of ours, too. And anyway, take the team out to dinner. And it's the first time I've ever was taken out to dinner by any, any superintendent. So it was awesome. I was excited. You know, I had, <laughs> we went to the dinner and. You know, we're sitting there, and, and I'd never had eaten at one of those Abati grills, you know, and, yep. and really not a whole lot of Asian food in, in, at that time. And, I, I, gosh, I had to have been young 20s, and uh, food's going around. I go to the restroom. At the, I, I never drank alcohol back when I was younger, believe it or not. And I came back. I sat down, and they they had basically taken the wasabi and smeared it I think they put it in my drink. I think they put it in my food. And I, again, my palate was very bland. So as soon as I consumed it, I, I felt the heat coming towards my neck. 
and <laughs> my ears got really hot and then I went to drink lemonade and when I drank lemonade it was existing in there too so the assistants had put it in my drink it was in my food and let's just say that I was hotter than that darn grill that was sitting in front of me and uh <laughs> that 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 starts my journey with Cunningham like five months after I started working for him so it was all good after that but he made sure he hates me early on well the one thing about John is is it never ends you know, you know, mm-hmm. you you're always got to look. If you're with him, you always got to check. I mean, I remember uh, what Orlando GIS the last uh, go around, and you guys, and I'm going to say you guys because I'm I'm sure you were a part of it. Uh, wrapped my truck in Saran wrap and or uh, or packing wrap and all kinds of other stuff out in the parking lot. Um, and you know, <laughs> I am I'm a car lover. You know, I love my little my yeah. car. You know, yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm if I have one thing, it's my car. And uh, I was trying to stop that because I really admired your car. But at, at one point, I, I do recall feeling that I, it was incomplete and I needed to participate uh, in some fashion. And yeah, that was it. But I got plenty of great uh, hazing stories that include wild animals, dunk tanks, and you name it. They're all in my, <laughs> my, my lifetime. Oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, while fun. we're talking about John... Um, Interesting story, right? I mean, before before you went to Bell Reeve, you were a GM, at, or well, mm-hmm. but prior to that, you were a GM and and then golf course superintendent mm-hmm. in Venice. Um, right. And then you move up there with John, essentially to take more, you know, I guess lead superintendent or or assistant, mm-hmm. te- you know, assistant superintendent's role. Why the move was, you know, obviously, you know, monetarily. Um, I, you know, more than likely the move doesn't necessarily make sense. So for those that, that saw that, right, that saw, well, why is Carlos going from a head superintendent position to to work out at Bell Reeve? What, what was your thinking then, and, and why choosing that path? Because obviously, look where you're at now. Um, it worked. Yeah. So what, what advice would you give to those, and, and tell us a little bit about the story? Well, before I tell you, before we get serious, before we get serious, <laughs> the last one, one more thing about Cunningham, yep. you know, and then we're done with him. Yeah, everyone's tired about talking about John because he's so great, right? But he, uh, he's cheap, man. He is cheap. I don't know why I was going to work <laughs> for him the second time. I've taken like three pay cuts to work for that guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it was just, uh, just life, I guess. You know, life happens to all of us, and uh, at where I was in my career in my late twenties, early thirties. Uh, positioned me to have an opportunity to be the GM of a small club and that club you know whether during that recession time everyone was looking to cut costs and I had a chance to do it I did it I enjoyed it It was like four or five years and at the during that time it was my kids needed um, a different uh, they needed me more right so I had to make that decision to say you know I can't jam I can't I can't do those things and at the same time be a good dad so I, I decided to make that move and i went to venice golf and even when i was at venice, venice golf i had made that professional decision and it was a sacrifice and but i was empty i needed more you know i was wanting yeah. for more and there were some opportunities there i was doing a renovation there and still felt like man I, i'm missing out or i'm not maximizing my skill sets i feel like i can do more part of that's my my competitiveness and part of it was just the need to fill the buckets that that GM role was doing. And I thought a lot about different opportunities. And then I finally got humbled and said, okay, I'm going to sit back and just enjoy this a little bit and relax. So right when I started to do that, I got the phone rang and 
that's when John called and said, "Hey, there's this opportunity that we're we're re- cha- we're changing the org chart. My role is going to expanding. I'm focusing more on becoming a, a general manager, and I'm going to run that that track. And we need someone that can run operations. And the title was golf course superintendent, but because it was the Midwest, it was a big club, it was going to require me to really change my mindset. And I, I felt like I was up for that challenge, and it happened. Mm-hmm. And here I came in and the hundred PGA. Uh, and so many other things that goes with that, a club of Bellary status, it made sense. Yeah. And I, where that was going to take me in three years, it was just going to be a big climb forward and allow me to, to really expand my resume and, and potentially go somewhere different once that time was up. Never in, in a million years would I was fathom that John would leave within a year or I don't even remember. It's been three and a half years now, but I mean, he left. It felt really quick and you know, for the right reasons for him and his career. And then I got the opportunity and it was basically, here's what, here's what I need. Here's what I'm going to do. And we, we got to go deliver. We don't have a whole lot of time to get this thing steady. And so off we go. And then as you know, and everyone else saw the rest is history. Right. Well, I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest stories here is a lot of people choose to, to take positions for the money, right. To follow the dollar. Um, oh, yeah. it, it doesn't always end up where you want it to, right? That track doesn't oh. always go in the direction that you think it, it may. Um, and, you know, it's sitting back and thinking about all the opportunities and, and is it going to make me better as a leader and as a, a person or uh, in my profession or am I just chasing after the money and then I'm going to get there, I'm going to be making that money and then I'm going to be miserable because I'm looking for that challenge again. And, you know, yeah, I, know. I, I think that's Absolutely. the one thing we all, all three of us have struggled with me, you, John, everyone, you know, and, and many others, I'm sure is, you know, when you get to that level where you feel like you got everything under control, what's next. And, and I think we all kind of in our careers get into that, that little bubble. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny you bring that up when you say about career and what let, let people listen to your story. I, I don't know if mine's any different or it's similar to many folks. I just am fortunate enough to, that it's shown a little bit more. And one of the things that, you know, it is, it, it, I took significant changes in lifestyle, but purposeful, right? I mean, I knew, Hey, listen, I'm not going to get a new car. I'm selling my car. I'm driving this. I'm doing that. I'm not going out as much. I mean, I made those purposeful decisions upward and downward. And now, you know, it, it positioned me to be here. And then there may come a time again where there may be a change once again. And at the end, you know, I don't know what the end game is in all of it. I just know that, I, I have to feel fulfilled. That's, right. that, that's just me. If I'm not being fulfilled, then I'm going to struggle as an individual, and I, and I want that challenge. And it doesn't matter what the title is. And, um, it just so happens to be that it happened to be at Bell Reef and continues to expand, and it's been going great ever since. Oh, that's great, man. So last year you held the 100th PGA. You know, what challenges did you have leading up to it? And then, you know, how has it been after it, right? You build up for, for mm-hmm. this big event. And it's here, and everything's going crazy, and then it's gone, right? I mean, we right. see that event with our LPGA event here. You know, obviously, it's not 100th PGA, but we get that buildup for, you know, for you guys years and for us more like months um, in right. advance. And then when it's gone, it's like, you know, that was the best. Now we go back to maintaining. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. I'll go quick to the buildup and getting through it because, 
I get, I know others have fatigue because I'm fatigued, you know, the fact that it is great. I know it's etched in history. It's the hundredth, et cetera, but, um, and the whole tiger thing and then him transitioning that to East Lake, which was awesome. And then ultimately Augusta. But, uh, I, I think the, the challenges really were about being in the Midwest. It was the last one in August. And, you know, we had to really showcase Bell Reeve in the Midwest. And, you know, it's bigger than golf in some ways because the city of St. Louis has gone through a lot of things politically and there's a lot of things that you see on tv that don't really highlight what the city is all about you have one or two incidences that kind of cloud the city so we were able able to showcase it to the world and that was pretty awesome um i think the biggest challenge leading in was just trying to stabilize the team right after you lose your leader like that i mean i mean it sounds great that you know hey carlos you're doing great but i had to figure out how to surround myself with excellent people to help us achieve our goals and we were able to do that with Nick White White and then we had you know Jared Brewster was here with me and Matt Lennon and the group and names you see but I mean it took a we had to maintain our focus and and deal with the the expectations of a build that was bigger than they had ever done and and I think that was the most challenging part because no one you could talk to can give you that um I relied on a lot of good people to tell me what to expect but it was our site's unique like everyone and we just get, we had to go through that, and I'm proud we did. As far as what happened after, what's happening after, I mean, it's just a lot of the pieces kind of fell into place for the club. The golf course was needing some renovation and restoration, and we, we the club, the membership decided it was time to go ahead and proceed with that, and we started making those adjustments, and since you're going into what we would consider our restoration post-championship, there were a lot of things that we decided to postpone as we went into the winter. What's hard about that is that everyone just thinks, oh, it's great you're doing rest- rest- restoration and improvements. I mean, we look we look like a bomb went off. We've been looking at these areas now with all the rains for a long, long time. So a lot of what's been happening is the psychological recovery and letting ourselves know we're still great, but we have to finish the job, and we haven't been able to quite do that yet. And probably have about another four months, and then we'll actually be, let's say, completely done, and then we'll focus on growing in uh, as long as we can in the fall, and then putting this place back to bed and waking it up next spring and starting over. So that's where our focus on is now and building a team. We lost a lot of folks, a lot of good, good uh, young men and women were here and they left, we got great opportunities and we had to retool trying to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are and how do we build them and how, what are our opportunities to grow and spent a lot of time doing that, especially when I was dealing with a lot of medical issues and not to, not able to be as present on property. So through, leadership of Nick is now who's now our golf course superintendent. Um, we've been able to achieve those things. Awesome, man. All right. So leadership, right? I mean, I've been talking a lot more about it over the last few years. You've been talking about it a lot, you know, writing about it, uh, and talking about it. Um, you know, what's got you more focused on leadership or has it always been your focus? Um, is, oh, is anything changed you. along the way? What, what, what would you say there? Um, I, I think, I think leadership's always been there, right? I think the great leaders are always there. I think, and I think this this is applicable to everything, right? We don't we don't talk about it as much. We kind of just have forgotten it. But social media and the electronic information platforms have made and highlighted whether it's you know strong past leaders. But there's so many people that focused on it a long time ago. Now it's just there. It's at our fingertips every second, and you're seeing a new article or. You're seeing uh, someone doing something unique with how they thank their staff. I think it's been there. It's just highlighted more, and it's more purposeful. And we're living in a world now with 
whether people like it or not, you have to appreciate the folks that work for you because there's enough people now that see other things that are happening on the other side of the fence and say, look, I can go work there and feel appreciated and be, we be welcomed, et cetera. So, um, I think it's existed as far as my, my focus on leadership. I just, again, it's just the, the stage I was on that people got a chance to see inside the gates and highlighted a little bit. And, you know, I don't think I'm any different. I think there's, there's conversation about me being different, but I don't, I, I just think it's important to really appreciate the folks. I can make this golf course as good as, uh, the next guy, but, the only way I can really take it to the level that it's expected is through the, the guys and gals that touch it. And if I don't focus on that, then, you know, all the products we put down, the methods, the strategy, the standards, they just don't come to, to, to life. So through the people that those things get achieved, that's my, that's why my focus has been maintained on that. And I, I don't think I'll ever um, leave that no matter what I do, you know, whether I go a different path in my career, I think the people are, are, are what matters, you know, they're able to execute it. So, uh, you'll see, you know, I think the other thing that's happened too in our industry is that there's a highlight of competition. You know, right now we're, we're, we're struggling in the labor market. So all you see everywhere, you know, you got, I don't want to use your name, but you got like department stores that are paying 15 and $16 an hour. And we're still paying nine and $10 an hour. You know, yeah. our, we're having a hard time catching up and it was happening. If you really look at it and if you're really a, a nut, about facts like I am three or four years ago, you can kind of see the competition actually entering the country club environment. So what does that mean? So you can go to a high end restaurant or even a, a good steakhouse and they were paying, you know, their staff sixteen, seventeen dollars an hour plus tips. Yep. Well, our weight staff, the clubs are making nine bucks an hour plus tips. And you know, you, you're losing the best people because of wage. So I think that trickled into the grounds department and, we're really having to focus in on how to treat people better, and and, and they're working in some extreme conditions at times. And I, I get I love social media, but it's interesting to see some of the, the remarks that go back and forth, and the debates, and the opinions, and, mm-hmm. and and everyone's entitled to them. But I I really think that you know if you want to get up on the labor market, you really got to think about how you're treating people, and and whether I, I'm I'm identified as a as a raw raw coach or whatever it is. I've been talked many times. And direct messaging is about that. And I was like, look, I, I don't care what the title or role is. I'm just focused on the folks that are doing the job. And we, we're probably starting to, sh- to move the shift into the wages, but we've done that by highlighting our staff and, and letting the members really know who they are. So they're not just on the more. You'd be surprised how many of our members have learned our, our staff's name over the, the last few years because of that, carrying on the work that was done before I, I took over. So. Well, and I I'm think you. Sure. Get, I, I mean, that's I, I think you get more too out of out of seeing other people do good, right? I mean, that's that's one thing I admire about Cunningham is, you know, he's always been about uh, the people around him and making, you know, what does he got to do to make them better? And and I, you know, I see that and it makes me want to do that. You know, what do I got to do to get my team? you know, to, to be successful, to get, move on to be equipment managers, whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that I've noticed uh, being in the business for 20 years now as well is, is the way leadership, and it ne- hasn't necessarily changed, it's just, it's, it just seems different. Like, before it felt like everybody was just focused on getting the job done, and and now we're more focused on also, you know, caring more about the people and 
and that you can't communicate uh, all the information exactly the same to everybody. You have to change the way, you know, you got to change your presentation depending on the person you're talking to. And I think the, the easiest way for me to see it is, you know, you would change your presentation when you went in to sell capital equipment or whatever based on who it was you're talking to, right? If you went into the accountant, maybe you're a little more financially heavy. If you're talking to right. the GM, maybe you're a little more focused on how this is going to improve the, the property. But we didn't necessarily do that with the team. Uh, we always did that with people we were we were reporting to. And, and now it seems a little bit in reverse where we're looking at, all right, well, you know, if I go pat him on the back, maybe he don't like that as well as he would if I gave him praise in front of the whole team. You know, looking at, yeah. at more at things more like that that are more personalized. You see that as well? I think yeah, and I think the one thing I, I the two things I'd add to that, and those are great great points, is you know, words and I'll offend somebody with this word, is I think there's more genuine leadership than there's ever been. People yeah. are embracing being more lovey-dovey than ever before, and it's the truth. It's because before it was shied, you know, shied upon in some ways because you had to be tough and rough and all this stuff. And that, I mean, that's just that that is one thing that I've noticed, and more guys are talking that way, especially in the private setting. Yeah. That you hear a lot of men. I just I just enjoy being myself, opposed yeah. to being something they were trying to mimic and follow. Because those individuals back in the let's say late eighties, nineties were successful in their their leadership style. So that's one. And I think, too, you know, I considered at one point in my career, we t- kind of going back to the beginning of when we started, is I considered getting sales. And I realized real quick as I was studying how to sell that I was in sales every day anyway. Yep. You know, I was, I'm, I'm selling the, to my membership the, our ideas, our agronomic plan. I'm educating them. And then it was like, well, I'm already selling and educating my staff. So that, that's happening, you know. On the on the org chart vertically and 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 downwardly, if you want to look at it that way, which I, I don't. I mean laterally. You know, you're teaching all the time and you're selling ideas. I mean, heck, we've had four inches of rain in three days, and we're selling. Hey, we're going to be good. I mean, we got a driver and see, we rebuilt three times now, right? You're selling the motivation that hey, we're going to make it, and then we got sod coming. It's going to get buttoned up. We're on to the next thing. Yeah, and and that's just part of the things that I've seen in the leadership or, or the evolution, if you will, of of our industry. Well, and I, I think buy-in too. You know, I see guys that buy into, you know, we. I've been big about explaining the why, right? You know, don't just tell me what to do. Tell me why we're doing it that way. Not not because you have to, but because I want to learn, right? I want to know, all right, if I do this, what's going to be the effect of it? And, and how, does it inter- how does it impact you as a superintendent right. based on what I'm doing on my end? And I think right. the same thing for the crew. You know, when... When we are able to get explain to them why and they can buy into it, we get a lot more mm-hmm. out of the same people that that we right. wouldn't get if we just said, "All right, you're just going to do it this way because I want it done that way." And that's the way it used to be. Right. You know, you, this is what you do. This is how you do it, and just don't ask any questions and just keep just get mm-hmm. the job done. Um, yeah. But yeah. you never got the you know you never got that full buy in. I I want people that want to be here, not people that I have to you know feel like I got to force to be here like. You know, I don't yeah. have people calling in all the time because they don't want to be at work. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's just a it's, I, I, it's a steamroll effect. I got a good one on that. One, <laughs> you said be authentic and raw. Yeah. I got a good one on that. Uh, one of the guys, one of our assistants, came in the other day, just fired up, and you know, football season's coming, and everyone's getting excited. Fantasy football's getting fired up. You know, everyone's spending money and talking about it. But 
you know, one of the things he said that resonates in this conversation, it comes to the Steelers uh, coach, Mike Tomlin. He goes, I want, I want volunteers, not hostages. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's something that he said in here. He goes, we, we have a bunch of volunteers. We don't have any hostages. He was pounding his chest about what we've been able to do um, post everything that happened in 18. And um, it's such a true statement that you want people. And I think the other thing, you know, the other word that comes with that, when you say the why and you're helping someone understand and you're communicating, it's trust, man. People yeah. want to be able to trust things. And it's hard to trust in a world that everything gets flashed up on pictures and, you know, quick snips, five second, 10 second videos of everything being perfect. You know what? Everything outside of those 10 seconds in your everyday life doesn't appear to be real perfect. Yeah. So if you can't relate, you're, you're looking at these things for hours and hours on end at home or in your whatever space you're in, and you don't realize that the world around you isn't all that perfect. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, I appreciate more the authentic side on Twitter when a guy's saying, hey, man, look at my hydraulic leak. And yeah. look, or look at the, all these fairways that are dead that I, you know, I, I missed half and made a mistake. And, you know, we should embrace some of that because that's where we really can build more trust in our societies and in our, ourselves as people. But going back to the smaller scale is trust. People trust you when you're able to communicate the why. And then what's even more powerful is when you tell them, and then it happens, right? Then yep. all of a sudden this thing occurs the way you, they were taught. And it's like, okay, it's just like your kids, not to minimize people. But it's, it goes back to the very basic principles of human beings, right? I mean, it, natural instincts is to be able to feel some safe and trust. And I think that's what you're what you're talking about with your, your team members and the people you consult and work with. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's about people wanting <laughs> wanting to be there and that excitement that you see when they've actually got it. You know, when you teach somebody how to calibrate a sprayer or a spreader yeah. and uh, and they finally learn it and they're like, oh, I've yeah. got it. Finally, you know, I, I understand it now. Um, it's fun. Yeah. It, one thing I'll add that I got to say this to you is, is money. You know, there's this perception of money is the driver of why the best yeah. leaders are who they are. Right? That's so far from the truth. I, I, there's so many great leaders in and outside of our industry that have no funds. It's just about an attitude and a, and a personality and a commitment. And, that's what uh, that's what's beautiful to see. Yeah, I agree. So saying all this, right? What if what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh man, <laughs> I didn't wow. say the questions would be easy. I know, but what would I tell a younger Carlos? Other than don't eat the wasabi with Cunningham. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Um, I think I would tell myself to listen more. Uh, I think I was just so gun ho and. When I was coming in the when I was jumping in the industry, it was the tech age, right? Not this tech age. The tech age being an age of the platform of Windows and Mac, and you know the internet becoming dial up, and, and you know there was a lot of information available. And I was you know on the website at night, spending a lot of time. But I feel like I didn't listen as much mm -hmm. uh, to the things that were happening. And I think I would tell myself to appreciate moments a little bit longer. Yeah, successes successes and failures i think i would just to have an opportunity to learn from those i've repeated some of my mistakes and you know and it's probably because i didn't study them and, and focus on how not to repeat them and how they truly impacted me not just professionally but as a person you know because anytime you have something go bad on the golf course most people say i leave work at work it's hard to do that because you know everyone's staring at your product your, your work so i would tell my, myself those two things listen listen more and and truly just understand and embrace what how i succeeded and failed and, and evaluate in that way awesome man 
All right, so obviously I have to bring up an equipment management question. I mean, (laughs) what my podcast be without that? So about to go. So this whole (laughs) this whole chase of Thomas Bassett, similar amounts of views and and hearing, it's about to go way south real quick. We've lost (laughs) everybody, but give it to me. I'm ready. Or you're going to get a whole bunch of nasty emails or something. So. So, what have you learned about the profession over the years, and being at a place like Bell Reeve? You know how important is the position on your team? Oh man, I, I tell you, it's, you know, I I have found over the time that I've appreciated the role way more than I did when I was younger. You know, when you connect back to the previous question, yep. I, I didn't appreciate the intricacies, the technology, the delicacy, and how important that was on plant health and. You say, well, how naive could you be? Well, I'm, I'm talking about a younger self. I just said, set them all up. Let's go, man. I got to get this job done. Yep. Uh, I, I didn't listen well. I was always trying to knock out lists and achieve a high level of production when I was young. But now, when you're when I'm in a role um, that is a little more critical of every little detail, everything's so important. And then you're in this environment that's so volatile that goes from 40 degrees at night to 90 degrees. Every little injury to the plant is magnified then you pay attention to that detailed mowing i mean even now we're going through a growing and we're learning exactly the difficulties and the importance of the setup of a mower to ensure that the growing goes as expected right um so i i think the what i've learned is that position is one of the you know it's right there i think when you say your assistant is, is right there with you but that equipment manager is equally important because he's he's, he's managing an asset that's quite large most fleets are over a million dollars. You have depreciation. There's a business side to that. So you just can't have a guy that can, or gal that can just grind reels anymore. Right. You need someone that can do a lot more than that and dissect these 27, 50, 60, 75, $100,000 piece of equipment. Yeah. I remember, I remember back in the nineties when I got on a piece of equipment, it was the old, uh, the old Toros with the, the pulley system on the steering column, right? I mean, that thing would jerk back the other way and, yep. Now you got these really intense hydraulic systems, low flow systems. There was a lot of conversation the other day about um, clip rates on Twitter and seeing mm-hmm. all that and green speeds. I mean, it all factors in. You say, "Oh my God, that's obvious." But when you ask me the question, "What do I think?" That's evolved for me. Our, you know, that role is is right there on the org chart is uh, the importance of it, and I think it's only going to become even more complex as we go forward if we don't get students in that field because that's going to be something that is going to be difficult to fill. I think we've ex- we experienced some of that like five years ago. There's more guys and gals involved and wanting to get into it, but the programming, the stuff that GCSAA is doing now, the stuff you've been involved with on the national level to bring awareness to it, that it's not just a turn a wrench role right. is helping bring awareness that there, this is a great profession when it comes to the equipment management side that you can take and make a great uh, professional career out of. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot like you say. I mean, in the past, it used to be, you know, this is what I need, and that's it, right? You just walk out and, you know, come back in an hour, and it'll be ready. I don't think everyone understand, understood or some even understand the whys, right? You know, I, I say that we ought to, you know, from a superintendent's perspective, ought to explain why, but I think from an equipment manager's perspective, you know, explaining why is important as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so that, so that you guys can also understand our point of view. And I, I tell, you know, I talk to, you know, Rusty, my boss, and, you know, I have to explain why a lot, 
and and mm-hmm. and it's just because he doesn't do that every day. And I think right. sometimes we make decisions sometimes and we don't understand the impact that it makes on everybody below us. We just make the decision and and if maybe we had spoken up and said, all right, let's talk about why are we doing this? So I got a little bit better understanding of why and do we have to do it today? Uh, you know, those conversations that, that him and I are able to have make life so much easier than, you know, yeah. me wondering why he made that decision and him thinking, well, if he didn't like it, he could have just said it, you know, can we move this to another day or something? It, it, it's, that's one of the things that I tend to see when I travel is there's not a whole lot of communication between superintendent and equipment manager. And sometimes when it is, it's more, you know, volatile than it should be. Um, and, yeah. and it isn't, it's just misunderstandings. It's, it's, you know, simple stuff that could have been, could have been handled by just conversations. Isn't that interesting? You know, when you think about that, that intriguing to me, I'm almost going to flip it on you now. I'm interviewing yep. you. Yep. Is how, how, when we talk about, discuss about improving or seeing operations how that exists right and that, and that just shows the challenges that exist everywhere but not to have a direct line of communication yet somehow still be successful that, that's great but that doesn't mean you're necessarily being efficient so it's interesting to me that you see that so you see that more more often than not yeah i mean I, I definitely i definitely see a lot of you know, question on, well, why, you know, asking me why, why do we not have mowers going out every day and, and, and not having issues? We know, we've got plenty, we've got plenty of budget. We've got a helper in the shop. And sometimes the realization is, well, you've got two people and you've got 87 pieces of equipment. I mean, you add up the hours that you've got a guy available to do any kind of work on 87 pieces of equipment. I mean, it's the realistic part of it and and you know a lot of times when i leave i get that oh okay well you know i've never thought of it like that um i think think it's more reactive too right it is yeah yeah. but 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 i think also we you know as equipment managers we kind of take the shape of the operation sometimes instead of instead of leading the operation we just kind of the new guy steps in he sees how everything is going and then he just kind of fits that space and right. as a superintendent you're thinking well why don't he you know clean this place up why don't he do this why don't he do that but this is what we've given him you know this is and and for some of those guys they don't know where to start right they they don't want to do the mm-hmm. wrong thing and you know they don't want to spend all of their time you know, cleaning up and then get in trouble because cutting units don't look, you know, it, it's, it's that mm-hmm. whole feeling. I, you know, I'll tell you a story of mine. You know, I was working on a golf course and I won't name the name. You know, I, I generally will spend the first week or two just kind of looking and yeah. that's not always a good thing because everybody's kind of looking at you wanting to know what you're going to do. Well, I'm looking because I want to get a feel for how everything goes. So when I get ready to implement some changes, I don't affect everybody. I want to figure out what things can I change that really won't won't make this guy mad or this guy mad, and then I can slowly implement more as they see some of those things starting to work. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's less drastic change and more gradual change, but to the better. And that first two weeks, uh, I just kind of was cleaning up. I was you know my first thing is to clean the parts room because generally 
you know, when I clean the parts room up my first week there, I get an idea of what's wrong with equipment because it's all on the shelf. It, for some reason, you know, you can just really learn a lot about what you have going on in your fleet with what's what's in the parts room. Um, so I got that to kind of feel out what, you know, what works, what doesn't, and, and learn the equipment and get stuff organized so I would know where it's at. And then kind of see how the guys work and what they do and what they like and what they don't like. So I have a, a clear understanding of how everybody does everything before I start making any kind of moves. Um, sure. And later, uh, I guess maybe a year or two later, the superintendent told me, he's like, man, I was about to let you go because I didn't know if you were going to do anything. Right? Uh, he didn't know, and I didn't tell him. But that yeah. was just kind of my process. And then, you know, in the end, everything went really well. And and it That's ultimately funny. just took time to get it there. So, you know, I think That's I funny. think for me the big the big thing about all of this is just on both sides that why has to exist. That, you know, I know you don't know about equipment, so let me show you. I remember, you know, what when we did during the PGA Championship and we did the leveling table, right? We put, moved the leveling tables in mm -hmm. for you and brought mm -hmm. you down there and showed you what we're doing and what the impact of it is and even had you do a cutting unit, right? Because for me, if you don't buy into it, if you don't see the value in it, then you know we're just going to put that thing off to the side because it's taking too much time to do. Instead of right. understanding that, okay, I know the importance of this and we need to be doing it so you can reinforce it. So it, it, it gives you, A, some knowledge on that, that side of it, but at the same time, understanding, well, man, you, know, you guys are really getting this thing down to thousands of an inch in terms of how level the cutting unit is. So. Before and before you go on to the next question, I want to say one thing to you is that as you were talking, it it, it shows me the evolution of, of your your growth, right? But also the role. So when I look at the equipment, say mechanical aspect of operation, we've moved from repairs into more preventative, and now we're actually using the word that you never thought would be associated with equipment is strategic planning. Yep. So all those things kind of when you put them in big silos and you look, try to break them apart before they fall into the ops and the ex ex executive items and the why you have to bracket them and i think that's something that's evolved you see those three things and it's funny you talk about you going in and cleaning out the parts room you sound like a chef that's getting ready to start <laughs> cooking with new recipes right i'm getting ready to just go as a this tuna recipe is no good anymore we got to get up to healthier options that include tuna and whatever you know and that's interesting that that's the process you do. I've never thought of it that way until you just brought it up. See, I'm giving I'm giving away all my secrets. Yeah, I'm going down tonight. I'm going to clean out the, <laughs> the shop. I'm going to make sea wrap and the boys put all. They're going to start fresh and they're going to look at me like, "What is he doing?" Yeah. It's Stephen's fault. Yeah. Stephen's fault. Yeah. Well, that's fine. I'll just add it to my list of faults. I have a lot of them, and my wife's got plenty of on her list for me as well. Oh yeah, I got plenty of those. <laughs> we we got to start another podcast. And that that one may be the most heard ever of all my flaws. That may start up a whole new uh, genre of people, listeners for you for sure. Yeah, I hear you. All right, so kind of last question here. Um, career advice for assistants, even superintendents or even technicians, right, that want to move up in the industry uh, and, you know, in their careers, what advice would you give those guys? Oh, boy. Uh, I think, you know, the, the big, you know, it's kind of all together, right? We've had this, you know, 40 minutes of conversations about a lot of different topics there, but I think this being, you know, you start with genuine individual you just be yourself the first thing you know it's very easy to try to mimic something and i really have preached that and, and coached that here be yourself you know and 
I'll use Jared Brewster as an example. Someone he's like a, a younger brother of mine. I love that kid to death. And like, look, Jared, be you, you know. But just knowing this operation, here's how we need you to operate. But one time, one, whenever you spread your wings, you got to be yourself, and you and also understand yourself more than that. So learning, you know, really going to your superintendents, your families, you know, your loved ones that can walk you through. Okay, here's some of the things you're really good at, the things you're not so good at. It's funny how we perch up when you hear all your strengths, right? You're in your oh, yeah. think about think about, you know, if if you have an audience right member right now listening and, and, and she's an assistant. Let's say she's a female, she's an assistant, she walks in the room and she's listening to all the things that she's good at. She starts to say, Yep, I'm, yeah, I, I can do that, I'm gonna do more of that. And as soon as the weaknesses come out or opportunities just call them, everything just deflates. Instead of looking at that as, hey, I'm going to use that. That that's you know, I'm, someone's giving me constructive criticism. So that leads me to tell young professionals to think about the constructive criticism as the opportunity, not as something that's a failure. You know, too many times, you know, you say the whys and equipment and the whys and operations. We don't talk enough about the importance of the opportunity that's in front of you. We look at that as a as a bad thing or as a, a scar. You know, I don't know why that is. And as I've gotten older, I've, I've been able to do that. And folks say, well, you just, you know, you are where you are. It's not that at all. I think part of my growth has been able to accept that constructive criticism. That's been molded through the right people around me. But if you go to folks that really care and they're really uh, developing, the one trait they have is their ability to learn. They learn mm-hmm. from their failures. And, you know, everyone just thinks that it's, uh, I don't know, I, it's not just the word, you know, fail and fail big. Yeah, it's not just fail and fail big, but learn big. And I think that that's what's missed in that statement. And it's like, oh, who wants to fail? Hey, I'm not saying go kill your greens. I'm just saying when you make a mistake with a staff member or you mistime the, the start time on the tee time and you're out there spraying something on the greens or you got dial over people's shoes I and mean, learn from that. And, and, and when you communicate it and, and how'd you handle it instead of getting upset, all those things are so important to one's development because as you move forward in your career, those things become exponentially bigger. And when you get to the chance that you're, you're leading an operation, you're going to have to in turn teach those folks who are in your roles now to do the very same thing I'm, I'm saying that you should consider doing. So uh, learn from those failures. Learn to accept constructive criticism, number one. Back in the day, it was like learn everything. Position yourself to do this. And that's that to me is still important. But that's the one thing that I talk to a lot of young folks about when I get that opportunity, which I'm blessed to do it more so than not. Well, I, two things to that, I, you know, I told uh, one of my assistants this in, uh, in one of his reviews is, uh, you know, you're going to have very few people that you could probably count on one hand that will actually tell you the truth about what they think, right? That will mm-hmm. actually tell you, you know, listen, I may hurt your feelings, but look, this is what you need to work on. That's what you need to work on. You're weak in this. Those are the people that I tend to listen the most to. Because mm-hmm. you have very few of those in your lifetime, you know, even family that will actually tell you the truth. Um, and and the other part of that is, I think I've I've learned that the more you move up, the less it becomes about you. And I, I may have mentioned this also in in Thomas's uh, podcast as well because I think it's so important that you know the more the as a line employee, as, a, as an assistant tech or whatever the case may be, I'm working on my career. I'm trying to learn the job and the things around the job. So it's more so about me. 
And uh, as I move mm -hmm. up to an equipment manager's position, it becomes less about me and more about my assistant that I've got to train, that I've got to get him ready for that next step. Now, it doesn't mean I don't focus on my career at all. It just means I spend less time focusing on it because I'm spending more time helping them prepare and get ready for their careers. And then, you know, as you move up another step, if there is another step, then it even becomes even less about you. So as, you know, as a CEO of a company, it needs to be about the company. It needs to be about the people. It, it, you know, you, you're where you're at because you focused on all of these things and, and you, fo you know, you were on the right track. And, and now that you're there, if you're there by yourself, you're going to be very lonely and it's going to be a tough job. If you don't have yeah. people around you that want to help you, and that that want to help you succeed, and that's by spending more time looking at them and less time looking at you. Then you're going to be up there by yourself, and you won't be there for very long. At least yeah. you know that's yeah. the way I see it. So, yeah, absolutely, I, I didn't hear that before, and similar thoughts to you there. And then the one thing, I guess, the second thing that I would tell a young professional, him or her, is do spend more time planning and reviewing the plan and sharing your plan. You know, too many times we internalize the idea of what you're going to do. I want to be an assistant at such and such golf course. It's for, this, for the purpose of the podcast, focus on golf, right? You want to be an assistant somewhere and with the ultimate goal of being a golf course superintendent in this area, wherever that is that you want to spend time in and you want to call home. And we don't do enough time planning the steps out and seeing not just planning, okay, I'm going to be an assistant here. How do you fit and how do you align with that? And, and understand, again, understanding your strengths and weaknesses and talking to people through the same process. And I don't think people, as, as a young professional, we don't spend enough time planning for a couple of reasons, especially in this new age that um, social activities are, are bigger than they were when I was coming up. It was all about the career 20 years ago. Now it's about, you know, balanced life and spending time with friends or going to top golf, whatever fancies you but. I think that we, we, we have to plan the process. And it's important to do that as a young professional. I didn't do it. Uh, I guess you can end as a third thing. I'd tell my young self is plan a little bit better and, and make sure that the goals are, are achievable and they're set in a timely fashion at proper growth. It's like going to the gym. I eat the gym a lot with folks. Is you don't go to the gym tomorrow and all of a sudden you, you turn into this ripped individual, right? You don't just you shred and you lost whatever pounds. I mean, it's a process. So, What's the process? You got to stretch. You got to do this. You got to nutrition. Same thing with our professional career. No one really does that. You don't. We do it with our guys now and gals, but you know, why not do that? Right. And you highlight it, then you'll find you have a, a better blueprint, and you'll check things that are working. You adjust it, and then you, you keep going forward. And that'll allow you to be more patient because then you feel like you're actually achieving things or some finishing completion. And there's another building block on your foundation of, of growth. And um, that's a thought that I, I'd like to share, you know, in addition to things of what young folks would do. Some of the people think I'm bluffing them, but it's just the truth. I don't know what else to tell you, you know, and it's hard to listen to that when you're young and hungry and inspiring and you want to get there. You, you're a, a baby cub or a young lion that's trying to go eat, you know, it's, it's crazy to, to be able to do those things and set yourself back a little bit. No, I hear you, man. Uh, well, I've enjoyed it, man. It's a pleasure, as always, to uh, to talk with you. And um, you know, looking forward to to seeing the golf course when the renovation's over and coming up in a few weeks, I think. Um, so, just yeah. uh, looking forward to it. And and it's always great to talk to you, man. And and uh, I appreciate your time. 
I just can't believe it's over that quick, man. 52, 53 minutes went just like that. I, now what am I doing myself? I was having fun now. We didn't even get into the really dirt. You know, I guess, yeah. like I said, we got to go again. We'll go version two. And yeah, after, we'll, uh, we'll have to do a part. Yeah, we'll have to do a part two. And uh, I'll get some juicy, real juicy questions. Oh, the R-rated version. But uh, best of luck to you, my friend. We'll see you soon. Thanks again. And keep being the Larry King of turf. Take care. All right, man. Take it easy. See you. All right.